Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all, and welcome to our weekly episode of Taking Care of Business. Joining me today in this chilly, freezing Calgary morning, uh, just to kind of make you aware, it's minus 25 Celsius and minus uh, 13 Fahrenheit, is Curtis Pociondi. I hope I pronounced it right. President of Prestige Capital, Inc. Good morning, Curtis. Welcome to Taking Care of Business, and thank you for being my guest this morning. Well, thanks very much for inviting me, David. It's a pleasure to be here. And I appreciate it coming in such a you know chilly day and chilly morning, uh, so early in the morning. Well, the funny thing is, I had to bring my uh, my, my snowmobile in this morning because my car wasn't making <laughs> Some people will think that you're serious. <laughs> So I have to add, before we kind of go deep into questions, I have one one or two questions to kind of understand something. Sure. Uh, the name Prestige Capital sounds like very broad, very general. Uh, I think if I go on the internet and go capital companies, I'll find tens of thousands of companies with the word capital in their name. So what is industry is Prestige Capital involved in? Uh, well, we're, pro- we're primarily a manufacturer of products, of, of investment products inside the hospitality space in Canada. So what we do is we syndicate equity that marries along our, our, ourselves to overtake or, or to buy and to renovate hotels across Canada, reposition them and then sell them off. So basically, is it a, is it a hospitality company or is it a money company, an investment company? It's both. We actually have two arms. We actually have a whole operational side of course, because we have to have the operations running to brand standards like Hilton and Marriott and all those different kind of firms like that. But on top of that, we also have the fundraising side. And that's really the prestige capital that we're actually, that's on my business card. I see. So um, after the show, do I get the discount card on the hotels that you guys are involved with? You bet you can. Okay, perfect. Uh, honey, did you hear this? We're going to a hotel. So <laughs> now that we clarified a little bit, uh, and, and I want to kind of, uh, before we dive into the business aspects of, of being an entrepreneur and uh, other business aspects, I want, like every uh, every guest of mine, you have to go through the interrogation about who you are and where you come from. We want to know you and our guest on a personal level. So where, is Calgary, was Calgary always home? No, actually, I, I don't actually live in Calgary. I live in High River, which is about 20 minutes south of Calgary. 20 but, minutes? Uh, yeah, you wish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You come out there sometime for a golf game and I'll show you. Actually, I was born in Saskatchewan, but I have lived in Saskatchewan, B.C., and now Alberta. So I've, I'm kind of a Western boy, I think. I see. Uh, growing up in Saskatchewan, uh, big city, small city? Small city. Born in Regina. Lived okay. there till I was like five. Moved to Melville, Saskatchewan, population about 9,000 people. Went to about grade six of my life there. Moved to Kelowna from there. Uh, went through, call it junior high. From there, we moved to Estevan, Saskatchewan, a population of about 15 to 18,000. And I was there through the rest of my high school days. And then I did my university up at Saskatoon at the U of S. I got my commerce degree there. So all those movements, their parents made you move all the time? or Yes, yes, they made me. Yeah, <laughs> I see. Well, <laughs> no, no, my, my mom and dad had different different business opportunities as they would come up. 
and uh, it was my family's belief that if you had a good opportunity, you'd move for it. And um, any of your you know, immediate family, parents, siblings, any of them are kind of in the entrepreneurship world or they just, you know, got a job somewhere and that's why they moved? No, very much in the entrepreneur world. Uh, I don't have any siblings. I'm an only child. Oh. But my mom and dad are, are wholehearted uh, entrepreneurs. You know, my dad was a machinist by trade. And then one day he saw an opportunity to buy into a business and he bought the business and he never looked back after that. And growing up, were you helping him in the business? How did you get uh, your kind of entrepreneurship uh, blood? You know, funny story. I was the only kid in grade one that had a job. Grade one? Grade one. Okay. So, you know, uh, we had a bulk plant and card lock for the petroleum industry, if you know what that is, right? So, of course, we had a small retail area where people come in, buy filters, you know, these kind of things, parts for their truck. So I would, because my mom was the main bookkeeper and my dad was the guy running the show, you know, after school, I would go over there and uh, my job was, you know, keep busy, you know, sweep the floor, price tag things, you know, make a sign up saying something's on sale, you know, whatever that kind of was. And that's how I grew up. And did you get minimum wage at that time? I don't you know. <laughs> I don't know, but they did help me out. I see. Okay, they were good. They were good to you. My all. parents have been always good to me. <laughs> um, growing up as a kid, other than you know working uh, from grade one, having a job, helping your parents, what kind of a kid were you? Active, uh, bookworm, sports guy. It's extremely active. You know, uh, I in my younger years, I figure skated all the way up to competition level. I played hockey all the way up into junior. And as well, I was a, a very good student and I was always involved with like the band and like the, you know, that, and there was some traveling and stuff with that from the school. So, you know what, I tried to be a little bit of everything and have fun at it. I see. What, what, what was the best one, the one that you liked the most, that you excelled the most? Hockey. Hockey? Yeah. What, what position did you play? I'm a centerman. I'm not big enough to be on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Did, by the way, did figure skating help you in hockey? You know what? It did. And when I grew up in Melville, Saskatchewan, the small town that has produced a lot of NHL players, you take back a look at the, at the history there. And the reason there's such a really rich history of hockey players coming out of there is it was mandated by my coach anyways that you had to take figure skating alongside because figure skating teaches you how to use your edges, like the new Connor McDavid, how yeah. he does it, and it teaches you how to carry speed. So when your hockey coach can just bring you in and just worry about hockey skills and not having to worry about how do I teach this boy how to skate, it's a lot more effective. You know, we all have dreams when we're kids. Yeah. And you were leaving Kelowna, uh, Estevan, Saskatchewan, working with your parents, doing figures. What was your dream at that time? What did you think or you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Until about grade 11, I wanted to be a lawyer and nothing else. From the day I was born to about grade 10 or 11, I was going to be a lawyer. And a liar? A lo oh, a lawyer. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> the guys with paper, right? And uh, it was, you know, about grade 11, grade 12, my mom and dad went away for a, a bit of time into Europe. And I kind of got a chance of like, you know, kind of somewhat running the business for my dad. And from that point, I look, I'd never look back. I said, this is for me. This is the kind of life I wanted. Now, you, you mentioned that you went to high school in Estevan, which is a small community. So um, if I kind of connect, uh, if we do a deeper research about your past mm -hmm. and try to find uh, the interesting stories and we kind of connect with you, one of your teachers or, or friends at that time, what will they say about Curtis as a person uh, at the time of uh, high school? 
How will they describe you? They would say that I'm, I'm very socially active, have a lot of friends, I'm good in school, and I'm a happy person. I see. So you got where you get to university. What did you take at university? Commerce. Went right into commerce because I knew I wanted to be in business like my parents, and that was the best route for me. At U of, U of S? U of S. In Saskatchewan. Correct. Um, again, during the process of university, were you involved in extracurriculum other than just studying and partying? I was. I was, a, I was an executive on the ski club, and I was also a participant in a few other, you know, like small, you know, intramural teams, that kind of thing. And either, in terms of kind of work or, or interest that is beyond the, the school, was there anything else that you did other than the, the sports? No, not when I was in school. I see. I went home for the four months in between during your, you know, your, your, uh, your yeah. annual break. And I actually just worked at the family business. So the, the family business was there for many, many years. It was there for many, many years. Are they still active in the business? My mom and dad are still active. They are. Yeah. My dad started a new company about, <laughs> he's 73, he started a new company about three years ago and it's thriving. Well, what, what kind of company? I don't know many people that started new companies at 73. He said that he wanted to go into um, uh, property management, but on a like it more for rental properties, that kind of thing for people. And just through the the work he's done, the credibility that he brings to it, and then the work ethic that he has, I think he's up to about 70 houses now that he takes care of. Oh, wow. Yeah. In his community of Esteban? No, they, in Calgary. Oh, in Calgary. They moved to Calgary. Yeah, they're in Calgary, yeah. I see. Uh, so you go to university, you take commerce, uh, you finish university. What was your first job coming out of university? What year was it, by the way, that you graduated university? Well, that's a good question. I believe it was 1991. I, and the, so the West was not doing so well. The West was not doing too bad. Uh, so my last week of school, I wrote two final exams. I got married on Saturday. Uh, and in the interim, the week before, we bought a house in Sherwood Park, Alberta, and then we moved on the Sunday. That's how I entered the workforce, as a, <laughs> as a, and I bought into a business the very first day. Again, so you grow up in Saskatchewan, you go to university in Saskatchewan, and immediately after you graduate, you move to Alberta. Why? You know what? That's just, at that time, you know, the... The government back in Saskatchewan at that point really wasn't open. Like, remember, it was Brad Wall that came up with the slogan of we're open for business. Mm -hmm. Before that, you know, it's not like it was a, not a great province to grow up in, but it didn't have the opportunities that Alberta did. And there was a business that I could get involved with uh, in Edmonton, mm -hmm. and it just seemed like a really good fit. And it also was a good fit for my wife, who was just coming out of university as well. And she's also from Saskatchewan? She is. She's a Prince Albert girl. Oh, and she had no problem moving to Alberta, you know, a week after the wedding, or during the wedding, or after the wedding. <laughs> it was a hectic week. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, we had our dream. We knew where we were going, and we were excited to get, get on with that part of our lives. I see. And so you said that your first job coming out of university was already buying into a business. Correct. Can you kind of elaborate what kind of business? What? It was a bulk plant in, Est uh, I'm sorry, in, in Edmonton. So I had an opportunity to buy in and, and uh, be a, a major contributor to that business. But usually students, when they come out of university, they don't have money to buy into a business. No, they don't. But, you know, I worked a lot of years. And when I was younger, my parents would bank the money for me. 
And later on, what I found out is that my parents would pay me part of my salary and they'd take the rest and put it away. And then there was, a, if you want to call it a rainy day fund, and that's what I tapped into to go into business. So kind of, what was the business all about? Like I said, it, it was in the bulk plant, uh, petroleum bulk okay. uh, distribution, card lock, uh, card locks for, you know, uh, truckers, Trucks. that kind of idea, yeah. right? And we served uh, a big part of Edmonton and outside of Edmonton for the, you know, large farming base and that kind of stuff was also our, our What was your role? What, who... First of all, who was your partner in terms of, uh, you know, what was the roles that you put, kind of took? What was the role your partners or partner had? It was my dad. Oh, okay. So that's why you had an opportunity after university. That's right. Okay. So what so was I, your- bought, I bought into the family business. I didn't want to go back. And it was a clear conversation that I had with my parents. I don't, I don't want to come back and work. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to be part. And they said, okay, well, you know, you have this money set aside for something here. This may be something you can do, and that's what I did. I see. And uh, what? Were, so, describe your role within the family business. Coming out of university with a business, uh, with a commerce degree, your father is already working in the business for a few years. Yeah. What was your role? What did you, your day-to-day operation was? Uh, day-to-day operation was primarily sales. Sales. I came in, and my, you know, we were taking over a dealership that had been run down. Uh, didn't have really good sales volumes, didn't have a really good track record the previous five years. So dad had gone through this before. So he was kind of the, you know, the guy behind the scenes kind of drawing all the strings. And my job was to go out there and just get people in the door. I see. How successful were you? It was very successful. Uh, I had, uh, it seemed that I, I really seemed to gravitate toward the bulk lubricant part of, the, of things. So we would have large, you know, uh, truck firms that would come to us and they would actually say, we want a custom run of engine oil. Mm-hmm. And I would help them, you know, design what they wanted. And uh, that part of the business, you know, we grew about 125% annually for the four years I was there. I see. So four years you stayed with your dad in the family business. Correct. And then you sold it back to your dad. You sold it we to sold out together. You sold together. Yes. And um, well, then you have money, you sold your uh, portion of the company, and what, what's what's the next day? Well, the next day, uh, we think that maybe we should have another family business. And we think we want to live in Calgary, so we do some research in the Calgary area. And we really don't come up with anything in the petroleum industry that we're kind of used to, so we weren't really sure what we were going to do at that point. Uh, until we stumbled upon a commercial greenhouse just south of Calgary, about 20 minutes south, just outside of High River. And uh, my dad still wanted to be involved with business, but he didn't want to be the lead, if you will, anymore. And uh, I wanted to take that lead at that point and take some burden off my parents. And so we, again, sort of went into a family business, but the roles kind of reversed at that point. So you became now the CEO, the decision maker? Sure. <laughs> we didn't have titles like that. No, no, I, I know. But, but yes. Basically, in a family business, um, the question is, who makes it a final decision if there is a, you know, disagreement? Well, you know, fam- how did it work for you? Family dynamics in a business are always, you know, a special set of circumstances. But we had a very good relationship. And, you know, I, I guess I was cultivated a lot in my dad's image in business. So we didn't really have as many disputes about business as you would think. Right. And, uh, you know, I would try to do what I wanted to do, but I would always try to make counsel with my dad because I always found that by listening, sometimes I picked up this, the little thing that made a good deal great. <laughs> and uh, Listening. Listening was the biggest skill I learned. 
So uh, that's something you recommend for every entrepreneur. Listen. You know what? If you're if you're not a good listener, you you cannot, in my opinion, be successful entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to learn. There's two ways to learn, and the one thing is is that you have to screw it up yourself and get a bloody nose out of it. <laughs> and the other way is to listen to the people around you who've experienced that road. And if you're not willing to do those, it's a really hard way to make a living. I see. Um, when did you sell that one? Or well, we t- I. Oh. I, I digress on the years, the exact years. More or less. How many years did you hold it? That's about nine it. years. Nine years. So when we took it over, it was 150,000 square feet of production and had about 110 staff. Uh, I grew it to be 450,000 square feet, so about 10 acres under cover. And we still only had 100 staff. But what I had done in the interim is I was one of the first people in Canada to, to bring in robotic trans, uh, transplanters from, from the Dutch. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to fly one over in a 747. I had to get a guy over from Dutch to over from over there to come over to program it, all those kind of things. So we were actually setting innovation standards inside that, uh, you know, the commercial greenhouse industry. Nice, Curtis. We need to have a short uh, pause. You know, we have to sell some commercials. So this is our first commercial break. Uh, if you like to learn more about Prestige Capital Inc., open a new tab and go to www.prestigecapital.ca. We will meet you here on the other side of the commercials. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. 
However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back with Taking Care of Business, and my guest today, uh, Curtis Potiondi, President of Prestige Capital, Inc. Did I pronounce it almost right for a change? You know what? Just about right on. Good job. Perfect. Uh, So before we went on a break, we uh, kind of discussed your uh, last, or maybe it's not the last, but the one that, uh, the greenhouse that you uh, had a business, a family business. And you said, you, you mentioned that you sold it nine years after you guys started it. Correct. Then what? After that, I went into business consulting on my own. And No more family business. No more family business. Business consulting on my own. And uh, I did on the side with my dad, you know, buy a couple businesses and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, flip them, if you will. So, so are you a serial entrepreneur? I am. <laughs> I don't know anything else. I can't imagine somebody else dictating my day for me. You know, uh, it is. I love everything about it. So, your partner, dad, wasn't dictating your. You know, Curtis, you have to be at the office at seven or. To sh- <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> you know, my dad is more from the old school of management. There's yes. no doubt about it. And, you know, and, and times are more regular. But, uh, you know, I'm the kind of person that I work every day, but I play every day, you know, and if I need to work, I get it done. And if I get, it takes me till two in the morning, it takes me till two in the morning. But it, if I want to go to my son's hockey game at two in the afternoon, I'm going to go and do that. So, you know, as I told you before, uh, this is a show about entrepreneurship. So in the first segment, you mentioned, listen, now you say hard work. That's another thing that an entrepreneur has to do. That's what I've been told. And my dad, my, we could say my dad beat it into me. But, you know, it's, uh, it was, that's one of the, the biggest skills I learned in a family business and having a, a mentor around me my whole life was seeing my dad do the little jobs. Mm-hmm. Here's my dad. At, like, so I'm, I'm a child, and I see my dad doing the small jobs out there shoveling the sidewalk because it's snowing, like today yeah. in Calgary. Yeah. 
you know, those kind of things. And that's what really made me realize back then is that, you know what, it's your business. And it also made me realize that taking care of your business is like taking care of a child. You give it a personality, you give it birth, you give it personality, and everything about it that reflects outward is in your control. Um, when we kind of uh, went through your bio and uh, did research um, before the show, we kind of noticed that um, you were a candidate for Entrepreneur of the Year in 2017 by Ernest & Young. I was. And, um, you know, now listening to your story about how many businesses you have were involved with, it makes sense for me. So when did you start, join, uh, whatever the right ver- phrase is, uh, Prestige Capital? It was in two, uh, at the end of 2009, January of 2010, mm-hmm. is when I formally joined. Nine years ago? Nine years ago. Yep, ninth anniversary, last month. So Prestige Capital was there before you joined? No. You said you just joined. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> semantics. You're beating me up on this. Okay. Uh, there was a group of entrepreneurs in Calgary that had bought a piece of land. Uh, they bought it for cash just north of the Calgary airport. This is a time when there was a lot of debate in the city about how was the infrastructure around the, the Calgary airport going to work. And if you recall, we used to have one main artery going in and out called Barlow Trail. Correct. Uh, the airport authority came out and said, you know what, we're going to be building a new runway, we're going to expand and everything, we're going to shut that down. Too many businesses thought they'll never do it, it's their lifeblood, not recognizing that they would put in a new route. The partners that I, I work with at Prestige Capital, they had the foresight to buy some land before it went up on the north side, and they bought quite a bit of it. So they came to me and they said, Kurt, you know what, we know you, and uh, we want to put up, first of all, we want to take a look at best usage. We determined that that was hospitality assets. And then they said, you know, we need somebody that can just be the glue of the whole project. We need somebody that can go out, syndicate it, you know, and be kind of the glue between all the different aspects of this to get it up and running. So we're talking nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Before that, were you still with your consulting company? How did, how, how did that partnership come to Curtis and not to me? I was involved in the private capital industry back in the day, I think before it was called private capital. And I was with the firm and these partners, these people that own the land, uh, they were dealing with the company I was working with. I see. The company that I was working with said, Kurt, we'd like you to handle the negotiations with this Hilton group as they called them. So I did. Uh, that was about the time that a, bu- uh, a lot of really bad things started happening in the industry and I left. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't want any part of that. That's not the way to do business. So you're talking about now private capital, private capital industry. all together. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of during the negotiations with let's call them the partners of the Hilton project. And I said, I'm out. Like, I, I'm just out. I don't like the ethics. I'm not sure I want to be in on all this. Not their ethics, just the industry. So I stepped away. And uh, then the partners at the Hilton partners called me maybe a month or two later and said, we don't need to have this big sprawling entity of all these, you know, agents out there being selling. Maybe we could do a capital firm on top of a, you know, a competent entrepreneur like yourself that can put deals and get everything going. And I said, you know what? No way. No way. I don't want any piece of that. I'd seen the inside of that. I, you know, I looked, I opened the cupboard, didn't like it. I'm out. So 90 days later, I started. <laughs> <laughs> How did they convince you? They convinced me by their business plan. And in my opinion, at that point, in particular in the history of the private capital, what was happening is people were building 
enterprises on other people's money without any sort of skin in the game themselves. So I'm building my dream with your money. And I wasn't a fan of that in the beginning. I didn't like how it ended. And when these guys came and, and I said, you know, the only one by one and only condition was I'll take over this project for you, but it has to be a real business. And if we're bringing in other people, they have to be real partners. And if we're not going to do it like that, then I don't want any part of it. And to their credit, they didn't know there were other options, mm-hmm. right? Because very successful entrepreneurs on their own had always used their own capital and only their own capital. So it was a very good union of the minds. So when you joined, uh, you joined as a partner or as a hired CEO, president, whatever the title was. I don't know what the title yeah, was. Yeah, it was a hired gun. Yeah, A hired gun. Yeah. And um, so as a hired gun, we'd... I would say, uh, I'm, I'm asking, they, they had a board of uh, investors that were kind of above you, you had to report to them. What was the way of working at that time between you and them? Well, uh, there was a board of four, of four gentlemen, uh, and they were the, the, the gentlemen that also owned the land. Mm-hmm. So yes, I worked closely with them. And we sort of did things in concert together, but yes, technically I did report to them. I see. And then underneath that, everything else, you know, was on me to build. So they gave me an office with no furniture in it and the first day and said, here you go. This is the beginning of the hotels. Nice. And um, during that process, decision-making, mm-hmm. was it in your hands, the board's hands? How did it kind of move forward? I would say decision-making was both. Uh, I would say that it was a lot in my hands, but certainly ratification at the board level on major decisions. And when... Are you a partner now? I am. Okay, so when did you become a partner? I, well, I'm not a partner in Prestige Capital. I'm a partner in the Prestige Hospitality okay. Fund, our newest fund. Okay. okay. And that was sort of my brain, my brainchild for a few years, and I brought it forward. And I said, you know, guys, if I, you know, to keep me interested in everything, I, I, I want to be a partner. And true to form, uh, you know, I didn't get shares for free or anything else. I had to buy in dollar for dollar just like everybody else. Well, you just mentioned earlier that you want to see that people have skin in the game. So you have to have your own skin in the game. Absolutely. And, and um, so now in the new partnership that you are kind of uh, one of the partners, how many partners, board members? We have five board members. Mm-hmm. So there's three gentlemen from the original group. And let's call them the Hilton group. Okay. There's myself. And we also have a strategic uh, board member on it with us as well. And he's a gentleman out of Toronto. And uh, his family business is one of the biggest hospitaliers in Canada. Okay. So now you also run that company or that fund? Yes. Okay. yes. What is the decision process making now that you have? You are five partners on the board. With five board members. Five board, five board members. You're running the day-to-day stuff. Um, what is the decision-making process? Is, does someone have a veto? Does uh, someone have two votes? Uh, how do you build it? Well, what we do is that on any acquisition or disposition of assets, it has to be unanimous vote. Unanimous. unanimous. All five. All five. And that's just simply something that we all believe in. Like it, if somebody, we all believe that all the people around the table have good ideas and good opinions. And if somebody is really strongly against or for something in contradiction to the vote, then we need to listen to that opinion. Now, once we've listened to that out, either side sort of needs to move a bit. But that's how we generally do things, the big decisions. In terms of operations, that really falls more under my control. And then what I do is that, you know, I'm, I'm in you know, frequent contact with all the board members and, uh, you know, for larger decisions and things that I think that are more like moral 
decisions or how other people could interpret our company's uh, persona, I always make sure that I check in with everybody else because I think that those decisions are as much are as much important to the company and its and how it's going to go forward as the financial decisions. Mm-hmm. So there's no, for example, if you bring up an idea, uh, let's call it just for argument's sake or for example, a piece of land that you and your research decided that that would be a good place for a new hotel, mm-hmm. and you have four guys in favor, one guy against. Any regrets if you guys, you know, miss this opportunity and someone else has to, not has, but decides to buy that site? Of course. I mean, you always have that little bit of that. You know, I'd be lying to say that you don't feel that to some extent, right? <laughs> but but you just learn to roll with those and you know that there's more deals around the corner. And we've been very fortunate on our pipeline that we have the ability to perhaps look past some of them. I see. So far, how huh? What in a kind of in kind of more or less in, in more or less in percentage, how many deals were rejected by one, or how many and how many were unanimously accepted? So far on that board, they've all been unanimous. Okay. Because what I've done along the way, if I'm looking to buy a hotel somewhere and I want to renovate it, it's not like I just walk into the boardroom on the the day of the meeting and go, oh, by the way, here's the asset, here's where it is, <laughs> and we need twenty million dollars, and here we go. You know, they've been involved with, you know, maybe other sub-meetings or particularly emails or phone calls on the way, building the business model, understanding it. So when we get to that end, that that board meeting where we're going to have the ratification, if you will, we kind of know what we're doing before we get in there. Um, I was uh, browsing through your website, and there was one thing that I didn't see, which I would say ninety over ninety percent of the companies that we kind of uh, explore before we have an interview, we see it on their website, and that is mission, vision, purpose. Um, do you guys have that? We do. We do, but uh, you have to understand. You have to understand that Prestige Capital is really just the the face of the operations underneath. So it's a little bit difficult to kind of put that out there. Uh, but, you know, our, our mission statement is pretty, is pretty simple that we're, we're building a portfolio of hospitality assets in which we have uh, syndicated equity partners. Mm-hmm. And how many employees do you have today on your, kind of under your wings? Uh, about 500. 500. How do you get um, your mission, vision, purpose down to the level of the employees that will kind of follow the vision that the, that the ownership has? Well, there's two sort of segments to that. What I told you before is sort of the corporate vision, right? That if you want to talk about that's in the boardroom. Uh, the operational uh, mandate is is that treat your treat your customers as, I'm sorry, treat your employees as number one. And if you treat your employees right, they'll treat your clients right. And that's what works in all of our systems all the way throughout. Customer service to us is treating our employees perfect right, and then our employees will treat the clients right. And that's a successful business model that is that's been doing very well. Now you mentioned earlier that um, when you met uh, the Hilton Group, mm-hmm. uh, you liked your, their business plan. Mm-hmm. How often do you guys review your business plan as an entrepreneurship group? How often do you guys do your business plan? How often do you uh, review that with your strategic plan? And who is involved? Well, it, it's the it's the it's the the all the board, as well as uh, our, our, our uh, 
CFO, I guess would be the proper title for him. Uh, and, and, you know, we do that on an annual basis. And we, of course, we do have an AGM with our, you know, our inv- outside investors. And so every year you do a new business plan or a strategic plan? No, every year we just review things. Review. Yeah. And, and update and make the, the necessary changes? Yeah. I see. And that also has to be unanimous or that's more in your hand and your your team of uh, executives that work the day-to-day? I would say it's more in my hands. But again, I don't like to make decisions like that without everybody kind of knowing and agreeing into it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, when you get those, do you have like a town hall meeting? How do you how do you take it down to the employee level that they know where the company is going and or what's the next kind of, I would say, phase or, or, or direction? Well, that part's relatively easy because what we do is we really... How is it easy with 500 employees? I, I'm struggling with, with 50. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to learn to delegate, my friend. <laughs> okay. So... What the, the vision really just goes down to the general manager of each asset. Okay. Right. And then what we do is we sit in on a monthly meeting with every general manager and their and their executive staff. So like their sales manager, their catering manager, their housekeeping managers, those kind of people. And through that we try to populate, you know, our, our mantra. How many how many properties do you have right now under kind of supervision? Uh, four right now. Okay. And another one on the way. On the way, meaning that on you already it. bought, or it's under contract. It's on the way. On the way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I won't. Uh, <laughs> I won't ask more than that. Um, again, um, I, I'm trying to kind of understand how uh, this operation works. So you have uh, Prestige Capital is the mothership. Will, will, will you say, or it's two different, completely two different companies? It's uh, two different companies. Uh, the actual holding company above it is Prestige Hospitality Corporation. And that's sort of the, the hold corp that's above everything. And uh, that's with the original partners. Off of that, we have these individual funds. Okay. Right? So Prestige Capital is kind of in between because it's sort of the execution of the plan. And then inside of that, what we have is we have different offerings. Each hotel is a different offering except for the fund. I see. Well, Curtis... Uh we have to take a second uh, commercial break. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> uh, we kind of reached our second commercial break. Uh, we will be back following the commercials. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D I V I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back uh, for the last segment of today's episodes of Taking Care of Business with my guest, Curtis Pociondi, president of Capital Prestige Capital, Inc. So, um, you know, uh, Curtis, I have a few questions now for the last segments that are more general, not about prestige, but more about your experience, your vast experience and, and unbelievable experience as an entrepreneur, because at the end of the day, we want to help other entrepreneurs, uh, you know, succeed. Um as an entrepreneur over the years, what did you find as your biggest challenge or challenges uh, in growing businesses? Sourcing equity is number one. You know, I think that the ability to have patient equity and affordable equity is, is a huge thing. I think that's always something that's a huge part of, of trying to grow. And the other part of uh, trying to grow and grow properly is to continue whatever your service model is at the same level of experience for your client. And that, in my opinion, is just as much or more important than the capital itself. 
How did you solve the capital over the years? Because sometimes bankers, when you come with a new idea, they kind of, you know, they don't like to test a new entrepreneur with a new idea. They would like to give you money when you have five million in a bank, then it will give you another five. But when you start, how did you uh, solve this issue? Uh, We actually went through a lot of bank managers. That's what we did. You know, we would sit down until we find somebody that would actually take out a look outside the proverbial box that bankers work with. And you find somebody that can look for creative solutions. Like we weren't looking to take skin off the bank. We just wanted to be, you know, workable and other, find other ways to, to solve the problem. And when we found gen, uh, managers like that, that's where we stuck our business. I see. Um, and, and the other portion you mentioned is the service, le- the service level, right? Yeah, no matter if you're creating a, you know, a service or a product, you know, say in the greenhouse, we're creating actual product, in other places you're creating services. If you can't maintain the image of your, of your, of your brand and the image of your product and the quality of your final product, too many people, in my opinion, go broke through growth and they go broke and they think they're making money, which is kind of funny. They think, Hey, I'm working more. We got more orders coming in. Holy smokes. I'm making a ton of money, but they're actually going backwards. And so if you can't maintain that product integrity and then down through your balance sheet, controlling your costs, then you're, you know what? You're in too, uh, too, uh, you're expanding too quickly. I want to go to kind of a little bit deeper on this point, especially in the industry you're in right now, the hospitality. And especially when you say you have 500 kind of people work under the hospitality kind of structure. How do you get 500 employees to give the same level of of service? We have an exceptional manager that takes care of the man. So this is a third party manager that comes in and they are experts at putting in the management team inside of the hotels. So they hire the general manager, that kind of stuff. And then from there, they take care of hiring and, you know, the coordination of the staff. Having the same vision as that partner and working the same way and same ethics and morals towards how you preach, how you approach your, uh, your employees is key to that relationship and key to getting your philosophy through all the way through the grassroots level. So you feel confident enough today that... Uh prestige under the hospitality is doing the right things to get that because I, I don't think there is a quarter or a, a semi-annual that you can go without watching as some TV show about hotel services that are horrible yes so you're right you're confident enough to say that that your kind of uh, prestige hospitality is doing the right things today with your employees in order to get the best service to your cl- to the guests. Yes, but let me clarify that again in saying that we have an we have an outside third party that is that bridge. Yes, and they have you know they're multi generations in this business model, and because we have sort of the same outlook on business and how to treat the clients and your staff. That's what makes it seamless, and that's how we can make sure that we have that sort of same integrity throughout the business plan. Well, I have to tell you, when I uh, came to uh, one of your hotels uh, to pick up someone, I was offered cookies immediately. Is that right? Yeah, and I wasn't even a guest. Well, they should know better. Do you, do you personally, as a CEO or a president, have kind of uh, KPIs, uh, key performance indicators that you track? Uh, in, re- in regards to what, Dave? To, to, to how do you know what's going on in the hotels? How well, are you going on? Actually, I do. You know, every every morning from each hotel, from each general manager, 
myself and all the board gets a special little spreadsheet that fits kind of on the face of your of your phone and it's an excel sheet it tells us the occupancy last night the average door rate last night how that converted into revenue per room per last night uh, revenue for the month where we were last month or last year on the same month same to date, same month, okay. and then we go you know where we are year to year, and uh, and then above below that we also take a look at the guest satisfaction scores you know through food and beverage cleanliness that kind of thing, and we everybody on the board sees that every morning it's you know if things without anomalies in it you know it takes like two minutes to go through it. Do you also have kind of forward looking on a daily basis how many uh, orders you have or uh, how do you call it reservations? Of course, yeah you know daily. Uh, our revenue management can meet several times a day because I don't know if you ever try to go online and get a hotel, but the prices seem to move all the time. And it's true. That's what we do in the business. We take a look at long-term events. So let's just say the Calgary Stampede in six months. Well, of course, we know that's going to be a high-rate season. But also, let's just say this weekend we're expecting really horrible weather. Well, we're going to make sure that we're firm on our rates because we know there's going to be a lot of delayed planes, a lot of people sticking around Calgary either getting in, getting out, right? So as an entrepreneur, and you just mentioned in your previous answer that some people think that when they grow, they're making money, but sometimes they can they go broke by growth. How important is it for an entrepreneur or business owner to have solid KPIs, key performance indicators that they track? I, I don't think, in my experience, I don't think that you can be long-term successful in terms of profitability and not have that. That's how important it is. I see. So that it's so important for you so that every board member sees that daily, every day. I, and 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 then those roll up into the monthly summaries, of course, that we sit down with the management to review. Yeah. But, Over the years, uh, you mentioned that uh, we talked earlier about you working in a family business, and then you went on your own. Have you ever had like a outside or third party mentor or business coach that you worked with over the years? I did. Uh, when I was an Esteban and I was in high school, of course, I had my, my dad as, you know, my key mentor. Uh, but I also had another mentor who came from the finance side of things, uh, a very brilliant man, and I respected him a lot. And, you know, we would have a coffee or a beer and we would just talk, you know, and we didn't always talk about, you know, how do you drive profit on, on, on this particular business, but we would talk about how to approach things. And he really taught me a lot, much more of the bigger scope of business, like outside of your operations and how it kind of goes into the, you know, the bigger atmosphere that's out there. So will you add this to the list? We talked about an entrepreneur has to listen, have to work, to work hard. And you, would you add to the list the necessity to have like a business coach or a mentor to bounce ideas? I would say yes and no to that. I would say yes, because you need to listen to somebody. But again, we're back into that listening part. But I think it's a different part of listening. You can have somebody that can be your mentor in operations, and you can have somebody that can be your mentor on vision. And they're not always the same thing. So you're now nine years with Prestige. I am. Okay, so and then we hit it per- perfectly. You said you joined January, so we're actually yeah. nine years. So let's walk together to the future. All right. And take 10-year vision. And we're now January 2029. You're 19 years now with Prestige. Where do you want to see Prestige in 10 years? I want to see prestige. Uh, you know, I just want to see the vision come true of uh, that we are we have that that uh, critical mass of hotel rooms that we have a, a self-sustaining you know entity itself that we can trade assets in and out of the fund. 
and really just complete the, the, the original vision of having a, a good portfolio that makes a good return for all the shareholders. And where do you want? Where do you want to see Curtis in ten years? <laughs> on Maybe beach, I'll be working on the beach somewhere. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I love the beach. No, you know what? I don't think I'm the per- kind of person that uh, would ever retire. But I can see myself cutting back. Uh, but I don't. You know, stopping work altogether just really doesn't appeal to me. Well, you can get your daily report uh, somewhere uh, on on a, in a on a beach somewhere in a warm place in February, not in Calgary. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and. Are you mentoring someone right now? Not directly, no. What do you mean by not directly? I have a couple nephews that are in sort of into the business world, and uh, you know sometimes we talk about things, but I wouldn't say that it's a real uh, mentor relationship in the traditional sense. I see. Uh, would you like to mentor someone? You know, I think I would. You know, I, I think I, I really enjoy, you know, the coaching part of it. So I, I think I would. Well, you know, over the years and in, in your experience, you probably had a few downs as well, not just ups in, in a business. You learn more from the downs than you do from the ups. That's unfortunate. That's human nature. Yes. <laughs> what, what are some of the don'ts, if you had to mentor someone today or your nephews that are trying, what are some of the don'ts you say, don't do this because I've done it and it, it's wrong. In order to help them yeah. go and be successful faster or in the right fashion instead of, you know, doing the trial and error and, and, and fail. What are some of the don'ts that you recall from your experiences? Don't try to be everything to everybody. Number one rule. It's the number one way. When you start fragmenting the mind of the owner, you're just going to get a fragmentation all the way down through the service levels and into product quality. And uh, you just, from the outside, in terms of attracting capital and employees, people just don't know what you are. I think that's the number one thing. So hire the right people on the stuff that you don't understand or you don't want. And rule number two, thanks for leading me on that, but rule number two is to have fabulous advisors. Mm-hmm. So my advisors from counsel to you know whatever it is, you know, I trust them explicitly. So I say, here's my problem. I want to go from this point on the map to this point on the map, and I know we can get there you guys need to figure out how we do that. Mm-hmm. Of course, I work with the team to do so. Right. But you have to be able to listen to those people. And I find that there are so many entrepreneurs, they complain about their bills with their lawyer and everything else, and then they don't take their advice. Well, I, I don't <laughs> understand that, right? If you think you can do it, then do it. Yeah. And if you're going to use your lawyer, use them. So you had many businesses in your past. Yes. And you have a new business right now, or not any new anymore. What, as a mentor, what are the do's for the first year? We, talk, we talked about the don'ts. What are the two do's that you'll recommend in the first year for every entrepreneur to do? You have to follow your fiscal plan to a T. And if you're going to make, and if you're going to make adjustments, make sure they're conscious adjustments. Don't get into a situation where you sort of get bumped, you know, one centimeter at a time, and the next thing you know, you're you're way offline. Stay focused, stay true to your fiscal plan in the first year, because if you don't, you're not going to be able to likely build the proper persona for your company. Um, how do you measure your success? I take a look at the people around me. <clears throat> my family is one of the b- biggest parts of my success. If my family isn't happy every day and doing what they'd want to do, then personally as a father and as a husband, I failed. And that comes above business. 
in, in business, I, I kind of have the same metrics. If the people around me aren't having fun and they don't want to come to work, then I failed at something. Now, you as a service provider, competing with other, you know, people or organizations offering similar kind of uh, services, what do you feel is your biggest advantage? What is you feel is prestige biggest advantage on this, in the hospitality field? We listen more intently to our weaknesses than we do to our strengths. Hmm. And I believe that that is the best way to grow. And you, you're only as strong as your weakest link is the old adage. Yes. So fix the weakest link. That's, I, I believe that in every aspect of my life. So what is the one thing you would like to fix at Prestige now? Oh, you, don't, you, can, you, can, you can plead the fifth if you don't want to say <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll take the fifth on that one. So, but what, what, what keeps you awake at night? What keeps me awake at night is, you know, the things that keep everybody awake at night. You know, am I doing the right thing on this deal? Is this going to happen? You know, what, what pieces do I need to move to go into place? Usually there are things that aren't in your control, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That keep me awake at night, and they shouldn't, <laughs> but they do. Uh, we're all we're nearing the end of our show, and I have a few uh, short questions, uh, short for me, but I don't know about the answers. Um, what have you learned about yourself during this long journey of being an entrepreneur? What have I learned about myself? Yeah, that I can actually be fairly resilient. Interesting. Any regrets along the way? Yes. Of course you have regrets. If you don't have regrets, you haven't pushed the box big enough. Right? <laughs> Share one with us. Share one regret. Yeah. Uh, getting involved with a, a multinational firm uh, that had probably more to lose than I did. Hmm. Interesting. So if you had an opportunity today, I gave you an opportunity to invite two people for lunch, beer, whatever, yeah. dead or alive, so you can brainstorm with them. Who would you invite? Wayne Gretzky. Okay. Because I'm Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. Interesting. Any business book that made an impression on you that you kind of recommend to uh, entrepreneurs? Yeah, Good to Great it was a fabulous book. You know, I know it's a few years in, in the past now, but... I thought that some of the core lessons in there and learning how to, to do things as a team uh, were good in any situation. I see. And you follow good to great? You try to follow? As much as I remember, yes. Oh, <laughs> you know you can reread it. I know. <laughs> uh, what is the one thing in life you're proud of? My family. Two boys? Two and, boys. And a wife. And a wife. I've been married for 27 years. We got married right out of university, as I said. We have two fabulous boys, 24, 21. They're both in the pre-med stream here at the University of Calgary. Uh, their joy, their excitement, and the tightness, the bond that we have, and the friendship that we have means everything to me. So they're going to be doctors? That's what they say. No entrepreneurship. Okay. <laughs> Something wrong with your education process. No, I don't. I, I think that that's the discipline that they're looking for, but they're looking more towards the entrepreneurial side of that. Yes. I see. Curtis, we reached uh, the end of today's episode, uh, Taking Care of Business. Thank you again, Curtis, uh, President of uh, Prestige Capital Inc., for being my guest this morning, sharing with us uh, your experience and success story of Prestige Capital and yourself. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Your feedback via email is very important to us. Uh, please keep on emailing me your feedback and as well as guest suggestions at dvwallock at gmail.com. 
Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, thank you uh, again, and I'll meet you here at voiceamerica.com slash variety next Tuesday, February 12th at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.